What up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to episode 86 of the Spunt Today podcast. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to help support the podcast, you can do so by doing your shopping on Amazon, like I know you guys do anyway. But instead of going to Amazon.com, go to my website, spuntoday.com. Find the Amazon banner, which is located in the affiliate links tab. Click on it, and that will take you to Amazon.com. So you get to where you want it to be anyway. But by doing this, you help support the podcast financially, um, and it doesn't cost you anything extra whatsoever. It's just a couple extra clicks, and you do your shopping like you normally do, and Amazon gives me a cut just for driving business towards their website. Black Friday's around the corner. Cyber Monday will soon follow. And I know you motherfuckers are going to do a lot of shopping online on these days, including your Christmas shopping and stuff like that, just like I'm going to do. So why not help support a podcast that you listen to? Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash affiliate links. Click on the Amazon banner and do your shopping like you normally do. In this episode of the podcast, I speak about UFC 216 and 217. Spoiler alert, I haven't watched the full card yet for 217, which I actually plan on doing uh, later today or tomorrow. But I did look up all the results and see all the highlights and post-fight interviews, etc., etc. I also speak about watching the Long Shot documentary, which is available on Netflix. And also season one of a Showtime TV show called Billions. I speak about watching Felipe Esparza's HBO comedy special called Translate This. And about comedian Ralphie Mae dying at age 45. Lastly, I speak about a recent breakthrough in a potential cancer cure. So stay tuned, folks, and check it out. So UFC 216 was a minute ago. I have these notes that like I jot down whenever like I, I watch something or read something or anything that I want to speak about in the pod on the podcast. Since I release episodes like every couple of weeks, you know, I'm not going to just remember, remember off the top of my head everything and anything that I want to speak about. But so I jot down these notes like, you know, UFC 216 fucking Demetrius Johnson on armbar or speak about, you know, what you liked about this movie or that TV show, etc. And this one is one that uh, I saw UFC 216 was on October 7th, 2017. And I saw this, you know, before my India trip. So it's over a month ago already. And um, so I don't remember much of the card. <laughs> what I do, what I definitely do remember is, uh, well, first off for the main event, uh, Tony Ferguson beating Kevin Lee, which was, seemed like a really close matchup. And Tony Ferguson is the interim lightweight uh, champion. And he is that because uh, Conor McGregor uh, vacated the belt. And, you know, he went off to do, to, you know, fight in two divisions and then go go uh, do the whole Floyd Mayweather thing. So technically he's like a vacant champ, they call him. And uh, Tony Ferguson is the interim champ. And it's calling out Connor like crazy because he knows it's a you know that that's the fight that's a that, that would be a really great fight really great matchup and obviously it's the big money fight. And uh, Kevin Lee was uh, facing Tony Ferguson, which is also a tenth planet jujitsu guy under Eddie Bravo, and um, beat Kevin Lee in a submission. 
I want to say it was a rear naked choke. Um, what I do remember from that that fight is that Kevin Lee had like a, a huge had a staph infection, and you could see like a huge uh, marking of it like on his chest. And I don't know much about staph, but it's um, from what I what I've heard it like completely just drains you like it's common within the jujitsu community because you know you're always like rubbing on mats and each other and fucking sharing germs and shit like that um but he had this infection which like drains the shit out of you supposedly and um like your cardio and stuff like that and that obviously must have affected his performance to some degree but tony ferguson is dope uh dope fighter anyway now, what I remember clearly from the card was Demetrius Johnson versus Ray Berg, which is Ray Borg, which is what I I jotted down to to speak about. And I'm gonna see if I could find the clip. It shouldn't be too hard to find a clip of this online. But the way that Demetrius Johnson finished Ray Borg was like some movie type shit, like some Matrix type of thing. Um, Demetrius Johnson in this fight broke the record for most title defenses by any champion ever in in UFC history and he in MMA history and you know people argue back and forth if he's the pound for pound best ever and he he gets he's like not a huge pay-per-view draw and it's kind of like a mystery why because he's literally the winningest champ ever um but he's a, a smaller guy um that's like the the biggest um like argument for for it or 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 like the reasoning behind why he possibly doesn't sell as much as people think he should. And he's a 125 pound champ. But if you watch a fight, he's just like a wizard and completely outclasses like pretty much the entire division. Um, just to give you an idea, this guy, Ray Borg, that he fought, um, looking at the stats now, and Demetrius Johnson landed 172 total strikes at a percentage of 82%. So he threw 212 and landed 172. And Ray Borg landed 22 and was able to throw 39. So Demetrius Johnson landed 172 total strikes where Ray Borg landed 22. Um, Demetrius Johnson landed or successfully um, completed eight of his eight takedown attempts. And Ray Borg successfully completed three out of 10 takedown attempts. So it's like a crazy mismatch for him. And it's like this with pretty much everybody that he fights. Now, the way that he ended the fight was like some sick... Like, if you would see it in a movie, you would be like, oh, come on, how many like strings did it take to like carry that guy in the air and make him actually do that? It's so unrealistic, etc. So what Demetrius Johnson did pretty much was... And, you know, pardon the, the non-technical references here because I'm just a fan... But he did some sort of like suplex thing where he grabbed Ray Borg and like threw him in the air and then on the way down jumped up and locked in. He like Demetrius Johnson jumped up in the air as Ray Borg was coming down from the suplex and locked in an arm bar and submitted him that way. Like they landed on the floor, the arm bar was locked in and submitted him with an arm bar. It was like some flying arm bar suplex type of shit that was just sick to see. And it looked crazier, I think, in, um, like, regular, like, non-slow-mo. Slow-mo, it's sick, too. But in, like, regular, um, like, regular speed, it looked just sick. It was awesome. 
So if you have a chance to Google it, check it out. I'm sure it's all over online and I'm going to try to find the clip and just add it in the episode notes for you guys to check out. All right. So UFC 217. Now, again, I didn't watch the the fight card yet, but I plan to very soon. Um, I was unexpectedly unable to watch it last minute, but I was like really anticipating it um, on the lead up to the fight. And just want to speak about the the top five fights um, on the main card. And just my thoughts for anybody who's interested. The uh, card was here in New York, Madison Square Garden, on uh, November 4th, 2017. It had uh, three title defenses. And it's the first time in UFC history that all... Spoiler alert, by the way, if you guys haven't seen it. Fast forward now. <clears throat> But it's the first time in UFC history that all three belts uh, changed hands. They The champions lost across the board. And it was uh, said to be the sickest card in UFC history, which I can't really speak to that yet. But it's definitely, in terms of like the outcomes and stuff like that, it's definitely a lot of upsets and surprises and like crazy shit going on. Now, to start off with the bottom of the, of the main card, which was Hendricks versus Costa. Now, Johnny Hendricks, I've never, full disclosure, never, like, liked him, really, like, as a fighter, and, I don't know, just kind of, like, rubbed me the wrong way, I don't know why, I've obviously never met him or anything like that, but just, I don't know, just never really liked him, and from every, like, interviews and, and stuff like that with other people, supposedly he's, like, the nicest guy ever and whatever, but, I don't know, just a dude that always rubbed me the wrong way, he looked so... So, like, everybody was kind of like, why is he on this card? And the most um, uh, logical reasoning that I heard was that it was a card where George St. Pierre, which headlined this card, uh, where George St. Pierre was fighting and, you know, coming back for the first time after a four-year hiatus. Johnny Hendricks was the last guy to fight George St. Pierre before he pretty much retired in the ring or took his hiatus, like, in the ring right after. And Johnny Hendricks, like, fucked him up, fucked up George St. Pierre and um including myself uh most thought that that uh johnny hendrix got like robbed because they gave it to to george st pierre the judges in a split decision and then from there hendrix was just like a straight decline and and uh drug testing got got um like much more dynamic in the ufc they got usada uh, coming in, doing a uh, more stringent drug testing, and some people speculate that that's why Hendricks had such a great outing and like declined thereafter because uh, he was like fucking with steroids and stuff like that. But that's all hearsay. Um, but in this fight, he the guy who was going up against Costa just literally looked like twice his size and like pure muscle. Danny Hendricks looked like if you were casting a role in a movie for a hillbilly that drank a six-pack of Budweiser's Monday through Friday and fucked with meth on the weekends, Johnny Hendricks would get the part just, like, walking in to the audition. Like, he just looked, like, completely, like, he shouldn't be fighting anymore. And take that with a grain of salt, because, like I said, a guy always kind of, like, rubbed me the wrong way. But whatever, that was, like, my take on it. And Costa won handily. And then knocked um, Hendricks out at TKO. Next, you have uh, Thompson and Masvidal. Wonderboy Thompson won in a decision. 
And this was a fight that I thought, like, leading up to it, I I compare, and again, apologies for the non-technical type of comparisons, which are probably like way off, but I compare George Masvidal, which has more of, like, a brawler um, style, like, striking style, and a lot of stand-up, a lot, you know, a lot of uh, throwing the hands. He actually, he used to be back in the day in those, like, uh, backyard fighting, like, Kimbo Slice type videos and shit like that, um, but he's an accomplished martial artist and and has had a lot of success in the ufc but he you know he recently donald cowboy cerrone and um i thought that he was gonna have the type of outing that he had against cerrone against uh one of the boys stephen thompson because like cerrone is more of a of a stand-up brawler kickboxing type style and um steven thompson is you know also a, a, a striker probably one of the best strikers in in the division right now but more of a like karate type of background and i, I don't know to me i like completed kickboxing karate in my head and you know um george masvidal beats roni so i figured he may be able to beat thompson and with a similar game plan and uh, the fact that this was what i was going to say before i compare like George Masvidal style a little bit to Tyron Woodley's in terms of like stand up and, and striking, but Tyron Woodley's like a strong uh, wrestling background. So I guess that's what, where the, like the main difference is. And, um, Tyron was able to like completely neutralize Thompson. Thompson couldn't get off on him. So I don't know. I did that MMA math in my head. Obviously didn't work and usually never does, but whatever. Until I had to go by. Again, as just a fan talking out of his ass. Um, and uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson beat him uh, in a decision that... I'm not sure if it was unanimous, but from what I read and, like, highlights that I saw, like, it definitely looked one-sided, but, again, I haven't seen the full fight card yet. Next was Joanna Janjacek versus... Rose Namajunas, Rose Thug Namajunas, which definitely does look like like Eleven from Stranger Things. <laughs> and uh, Joanna Janjacek was, I think, the winningest, almost almost breaking Ronda Rousey's record in the winningest champion, uh, female champion. And um, I'm not sure if this fight would have got her, gotten her to break the record or the fight after this, but she's like up there. <clears throat> Definitely a sweetheart, definitely a fan favorite. And uh, Rose uh, Namunis is uh, an up-and-comer and looks like Eleven from Stranger Things. And she's more of the, the, I guess Joanna's like more of like a heel, but the champion that everybody like likes, but she's like, talk shit and, you know, I'm the queen and, and bow to me, I'm going to fucking beat you, you know, with her thick, like Polish accent, but like everybody loves her anyway. Kind of, kind of like a, watered down version of the like conor mcgregor effect how he's like a dick um but wins everybody over then uh rose on the other hand she's like super like uber positive and let's all get along and let's make the world a better place and you know strict like martial artists etc etc and she actually one of the freakiest weirdest things was that in the face-off before before the fight um yuana jenjacek is like in her face and, like, saying, I'm going to kick your ass, I'm going to make you cry, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, like, put her fist, like, 
in her face and like touched her mouth with her fist and stuff like that and rose Namunas was just standing there like looking like 11 because she has like a shaved head and <clears throat> reciting <clears throat> excuse me reciting the lord's prayer just like standing there saying our fathers who are in heaven hallowed be the name etc 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 just like on some freaky scary like exorcist movie type shit anyway long story short she was a a, a big underdog and wound up catching joanna um striking by the way because joanna's like anybody who is gonna beat her she's like the best striker people like compared to like to like dudes actually um in terms of striking like she's better than some guys and which is not to say that a female can't be but just that women are like newer in in mma or at least as far as like ufc and stuff like that so the male striking game is thought to be like more elevated or superior or whatever um but they say that she could fuck up some guys like we're striking like that's how dope she is and so it's always thought that if somebody's gonna beat her you know it has to be like taking her down submitting her etc rose namayunas beat her at her own game caught her with like a left a left um a left hook knocked her down you know jumped on top of her ground and pound and she it got stopped and like the controversy is that uh joanna was supposedly tapping to the strikes which would be like holy shit like nobody like taps to strikes uh joanna was saying that she didn't tap she she was just like trying to stand up uh from it but the refs i think stopped it anyway just based off like the strikes and her being out of it not specifically the tapping but that's like been the the whole side story or whatever like if she really tapped or if she didn't etc um but that was like a sick upset on the uh joanna side next uh co-main event was cody garbrand and tj dillashaw they have a rivalry that i've spoken about in the past they were both in the same camp um tj wound up leaving w- along with a coach that was on the team that had come in and and tj really uh uh gravitated towards um Dwayne ludwig and that caused like a rift between tj and and the team that he like pretty much grew up with um training with or whatever but he was always like an uber competitive guy and supposedly like used to od like in the gym and like hurt people in practice type of thing and and whatever there's a lot of he said she said a lot of finger pointing on both sides and tj um won the belt while he was still with the team then he left then he lost the belt to uh dominic cruz in a very very razor razor close fight and since then they've been they've been um playing up like a fight between tj and either uriah faber which is the head of team alpha male or but who has since retired and um or uh cody garbrand which is the like the up-and-comer also within the the same um division and cody garbrand actually got a fight against dominic cruz which is the guy that beat tj dillashaw and cody garbrand won in a very surprising upset as well and completely dominated in that fight and then uh the tj uh cody fight was slated and uh cody fucked up his back and needed surgery or something like that so they had to postpone it until now and it finally happened and this was a fight again that was very very uh closely matched and it was um thought to 
be like one of the fights that was going to go to decision again. And that didn't happen. TJ caught Cody standing up. Um, again, he TJ's a very like fluid striker. Um, has like awesome movement. Cody as well. And he's known for his power um, within that division. So if a knockout happened, it was thought that it was going to be on the Cody side. You know, similar to Joanna Janjacek's fight. That was going to be on her side, but it was the other way around. And um, TJ was thought to... Um, his role to victory was going to be via his wrestling because he has a strong wrestling background. And it didn't happen that way. Cody got caught. And I think with the left hook also. I don't remember exactly, but... Definitely got caught, and um, he beat uh, he uh, beat Cody, and is the champion again. Got his belt back, and now they are trying to make a fight happen between TJ Dillashaw, which this he fights at one thirty five, and Demetrius Johnson, DJ that I mentioned from UFC two sixteen that had the flying armbar thing. They've been trying to get that fight to happen, like at a either a catch weight or or TJ, I believe, is uh, said that he can go down to one twenty five and make that weight. Um, as well he should, because you know Demetrius is like the reigning champ at one twenty five, and you know why should he have to like chase anybody? Um, but to make this super fight happen, um, they were like trying to make it happen before, and and Demetrius Johnson declined because he wanted to first like win the record of most title defenses as he did against Ray Borg. So now that TJ got his belt back at 135 and Demetri Johnson handily beat Ray Borg and, you know, broke his record, they're saying that there's no reason why that fight couldn't happen. And that would be fucking absolutely sick because they're both, like, at the top of their game. And that would definitely be a monster a monster fight. As would definitely seeing uh, Cody Garber and Dillashaw uh, rematch. Um, but I know... Dillashaw doesn't want to give Cody a rematch because after he lost his belt to Dominic Cruz, he had to pretty much fight like two or three people to get back to a title shot. And it was like a razor thin, like people were surprised that he lost. You know, it was it was like a 49-51 type of, type of matchup, so it could have gone both, both ways. But he still had to wait like a year and a half to get another title defense. So he's like, fuck that. And if I had to wait a year and a half, let this motherfucker wait a year and a half and fight, you know, earn his way back to like fighting me again. So... TJ doesn't doesn't want it apparently, and um, um, but it's like one of those type of like matchups and storylines that would warrant like a, a trilogy, you know, between the two. And last but not least, the main event: George Saint Pierre versus Michael Bisping. Michael Bisping was the champion who won the championship, um, in an unexpected, very unexpected um knockout of luke rockhold i think like maybe like two or three fights ago already he took the fight in like 14 days notice or something like that and luke rockhold was supposed to like beat him handily that didn't happen he underestimated michael bisping who knocked him out i think in the first or second round won the title then uh, bisping defended i think twice if i'm not mistaken and now he's fighting against uh, george st pierre which is coming back for the first time in four years to a weight class that he hadn't fought in before. It was a weight class above his normal weight class when he went away from the UFC, which he supposedly went away from because of like the like drugs and stuff like that that are or steroids that he was saying was rampant within the sport, but the sport wasn't doing anything about. 
uh, et cetera, et cetera. And um, George St. Pierre was always a, a legend of the sport, one of the winningest like fighters ever. And I think he, he lost twice and he avenged both, both those losses in like strong, you know, comeback fashion. And, um, but there was a lot of, you know, he's been away for four years, four or five, four, four or five, I think four. And, you know, fighting at a weight class above, above where he was used to fighting. And, um, so it was, there was a lot of like curiosity behind his return and he wound up winning in a submission in round three. Um, to Michael Bisbank's credit, he didn't tap. It was a rear naked choke. George uh, choked him to sleep. Um, Michael Bisbank's awesome though. He's uh, he's cool to listen to in terms of like interviews and stuff like that. He was one of the most, I would say, before Conor McGregor came around and elevated the shit talking aspect to to uh, MMA. Um, Michael Bisbank and Chael Sonnen were like two of the the premier like shit talkers and like self promoters in the fight game. So it's always fun to listen to him, but he's also like a humble dude, like in, in defeat and, and stuff like that. And he was like, he was like, yeah, I didn't tap, but you know, that's no, that's no, um, that's less of a nod to me and more, more of a nod to how good George St. Pierre's, uh, uh, rear naked choke was. Cause he just didn't give me a chance to tap. I just fucking, he like squoze squ- so tight that I put me to sleep. <laughs> So he was trying to say, you know, he was not trying to be brave or anything like that. He just didn't, literally didn't have a chance to, to tap. That's how quick and, and strong the rear naked choke was by George St. Pierre. And um, I saw the highlights of it, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the that full fight. But it's definitely sick to see him, see him come back. GSP is one of the greats. Canada is, like, athlete of the year, like, while he was um, in his prime in the UFC. They say he's going to go back down to 170, um, which would be a sick fight between him and Tyron Woodley, the current uh, 170-pound champion that I mentioned before. And the path that they're speculating that GSP is going to go on is go down to 170, fight Tyron Woodley. If he becomes that 28 division champ, you know, if he beats uh, Tyron Woodley, or even if he doesn't, like, the goal is after Tyron to fight against Conor McGregor, which would be, that'll just, like, explode the internet. That would be sick. And, like, a lot of people, like, speculate with Conor in terms of, like, who's he going to come back for? He just made $100 million in boxing and stuff like that. You know, they have to, you know, they're going to offer him, you know, $10 million to fight, you know, let's say Tony Ferguson or something like that. It's not really going to, um, it's not going to be, like, palatable, really, you know, financially-wise and, you know, risk-wise. But a fight against George St. Pierre, I think, just the that legend status of GSP and the fact that he's not like a washed up GSP, like we see like a lot of like Anderson Silva's and Lyoto Machida's and stuff like that come back, which were legends and, you know, still are legends, but that come back and, you know, they're like a shell of, them, of their former selves. Like GSP is definitely not that right now. So it would be, it would be, I think, palatable in that sense for Connor to, to take that on and it would be sick if that happens. Long shot, the documentary is a documentary that is on netflix it's called long shot <laughs> and it's fucking sick because it's a true story right and spoiler alert if you guys haven't seen it you know skip skip ahead but i'm gonna tell you guys what it's about or whatever it's definitely still worth a watch regardless 
um i mean even if you see like the trailer for it or whatever i think it gives away like everything that, that i'm gonna mention here but pretty much it's this dude that was arrested for a murder he got life in prison and on he was on death row basically not basically like he was and he always maintained his innocence but there was no substantial like proof behind it or anything like that which is a motherfucker to me because it's like it's kind of like like a lot of the um the actual innocence like podcasts that I've, I've mentioned to you guys in the past and like stories that that i hear of people that are exonerated after like 10 15 20 years in prison and you find out that they were they were locked up due to a, an eyewitness account but then an eyewitness like alibi account doesn't weigh as much like i don't know that's just like fuck that just seems like so broken to me but i kind of get it too at the same time because it's like oh if your mom or your sister say oh yeah he was in the house all day it's kind of like of course they're gonna lie for you like type of thing but fuck man how reliable how much weight is put behind just like eyewitness testimonies if that's all that they have to go by you know anyway so supposedly he like um he like drove up and like shot shot this girl um in her driveway and then drove off with a couple of other guys and you know he went to jail for it i forget how many years he was in jail um but again always maintaining his innocence and they like in the documentary they get into okay so where were you if you know you didn't do this and he was like he was at a baseball game with his daughter he was at a dodger game and he used to go suppose the other time he was a big dodgers fan and he had tickets and um i think his boys canceled on him or something like that and he had an extra ticket and he was gonna go with his girl but then decided to take his daughter to the game and um just went him and his daughter um went to the game and he supposedly had, i don't remember if he had the tickets i think he did um because you still like keep the tickets but supposedly that wasn't proof enough because you know you could buy them after the fact or or whatever but there was no like trail of him buying it but just like had the stubs or whatever at least that's how i remember or maybe he couldn't like find the stubs at all but Either way, that didn't work to like get him off, right? Then this attorney that took on his case, like pro bono, um, he like went through the video, like the the archive video, surveillance cameras and stuff like that of the stadium, and you know, there's well, like fifty, forty thousand people there, or whatever, seventy thousand people, whatever it is, in a baseball stadium. It's like, what are the odds that we're actually going to, like, see him? Um, so, they went through, like, hours and hours and hours of footage. And they actually do get to focus in on the section that he said he was sitting in. And you see him there. But it's a very grainy, very... You see him and his daughter. It's a very grainy um, video from far away that happened to catch, catch, like, a glimpse of him. And, like, that wasn't enough to get him off either. So, then... Like, somebody, I think, at the stadium mentioned, though, you know, there was a, a film crew here that day. Maybe they had other footage that we didn't have on the on the uh, surveillance videos and stuff like that. And supposedly the footage was, not supposedly, the footage, the camera crew that was there was filming an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is Larry David's TV show on HBO. So the attorney winds up contacting them. And, you know, he see, sees the episode. The episode is, you know, obviously, the well, the episode didn't have the guy 
there in the stands, but they were like looking for him to see if they see him like in that episode or whatever. They didn't, so they contacted the HBO film crew and they say that they have like you know tons of scenes and stuff like that that get edited out and like extra footage and that the attorney can you know go through that if 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 they want to and you know see if it helps and the attorney does that and long story short in that cutout footage you clearly see the dude that was in jail as well as his daughter and that's not even the sickest part the sickest part is that the guy the guy like the film crew is like well the guy gets up because the girl says that she wants ice cream the little girl so imagine if she didn't say she wanted ice cream but she says that she wants ice cream the dad gets up takes her out to go get ice cream and then when he's coming back to his seats like they're asked to to like hold off like the usher or whatever like holds them off um because larry david is there in that aisle filming a scene like they're literally in his section the section exactly where he has to walk in and the film crew is there filming and um um, but larry david is like more towards like the bottom and his seats are more towards like the top of the section so he's standing there and then um they're just filming they ask him to to hold off and then the camera guy says you know what you you guys can go actually because you know if your seats are, are right there you know just go sit down whatever but they keep kept the camera rolling and the guy said, all right, cool, thanks. And he goes to sit down, and you see him there. His daughter goes in first. He goes there. You see the back of his head. He turns, and you see him, one like, clear as day. You know, HD video right there in front of the fucking camera. Like, he's there. And then, like, that was definitely the breakthrough in the case, but that alone wasn't, wasn't enough to get him off because the hours of, like, they pretty much said that he still had enough time to, like, take his daughter home and then drive to the girl's house which was nearby his home and shoot her because there was like just enough time for him to like pull that off supposedly but what that did do was like open up the the um his like incriminating uh statements that he said when he was getting interrogated by the cops and they were like deliberately trying to get him to like incriminate himself and they gave like leading questions and answers and um uh deceptive uh testimony from their part points of view like to the point that they wound up getting like removed from being cops and like one of them was reassigned and one of them was completely like fired or whatever i forget what the technical term is when a cop is decopped um and that eventually got him off and i forget how many years he was in jail but thereafter they found the real killers who actually did it which was four gang members and it's just sick how shit like that happens and how just like on a human level from the cops point of view and like they're looking for a win right in their column for like we got we got a crime we got a guy that we think did it let's make it so that he did it and that's our win like that's our our job right our job is to catch bad guys put them in jail catch bad guys put them in jail so they have this like very tunnel visioned view and objective that winds up one fucking up a person's life for at least a large part of it you know putting them in jail you know that experience that time loss that that grief that him and his family went through is you can't erase that no matter what and while you are tunnel visioned on this one person that you're making it so that he did it but you have the the guys that really did it 
the fucking four gang members that really committed a murder still out there while you're pinning it on somebody else. And I'm not saying that they deliberately said, you know, we know this guy didn't do it, but let's make it so that he did. And I can't pretend to know what it's like to be a cop, but be a detective interrogating a potential homicide um, committer. And you know that you're in a business that people are constantly lying to you and you have to like sift through that for the truth. Not pretending I have any idea what any of that is like, but I do believe that at some level we have to like look at our, our actions, our patterns, our habits, our inclinations and analyze them and make objective determinations on why am I pushing so hard towards this direction? Is it because I think he did it and I'm trying to uncover the truth or is it because um, I'm trying to close this case out so I can get to the next one? Or realizing, you know, what I'm doing is giving leading, uh, these like leading questions that, you know, push a person to the, to a corner and make them respond the way that you, you want them to respond. Like that's like, just like a psychological, you know, human interaction, uh, dialogue tactic. Like, if this person is guilty, do I need to go that route in order to uncover the guilt? Or is there a more, like, direct, clearer, non-muddy way to, like, get to that? I don't know. It was a a sick documentary. Again, it's called Long Shot, and it's on Netflix. Check it out. Felipe Esparza has a new HBO documentary. uh, HBO uh, comedy special. And it's called Translate This. Oh, wait a second. I'm going out of fucking sequence here. Um, I'm so fucking anal, right? You know, that's actually something I like and I hate about myself at the same time, if that makes any sense. But in the intro to the episode, I mentioned that I was going to speak about the show after Longshot, speak about Billions, and then the Felipe Esparza comedy special. And I just caught myself and I'm so anal that I'm going to reverse it in real time. So, <laughs> that said, the show Billions... I mentioned to you guys in the in the uh, in the episode. I'm not. I don't remember how in depth I got into it, but I've seen. I think they're in the third season now. I've only seen season one, and I saw it all on the plane on my way to India. Well, the majority of it on the way to India, and then I finished it off on the way back. I think I saw seven episodes back to back on the plane on the way over there, which is fucking seven hours of the TV show, and it was it was that good because it kept me kept me into it the entire time it's a really good show and i'm i'm glad season two is done already so i can like binge watch that when um when i get around to it but takeaways from season one was first off the soundtrack for the show i think was dope like i got like a couple songs actually that i think i played in the outro of the in the episode um that i heard for the first time that i liked that i thought were were dope like the song choice just like vibed really well with the storyline and the characters. And uh, one of the songs was uh, Gotta Serve Somebody by Bob Dylan. And another one was I Just Might by Ryan Adams. Both I heard for the first time, um, along with other songs, like throughout the series, but those like stood out um, most to me. And I actually like Shazammed it and um, shared it with you guys on, on that uh, past episode, the indie episode. So yeah, the soundtrack is, is like pretty dope. 
Then uh, the two main characters, one played by Paul Giamatti, which is one of my favorite car- um, actors, and the other played by a really, really good actor that I don't know his name, but he played uh, Brody in the show Homeland. Uh, let me look up his name. Damien Lewis is his name. He's a dope actor as well. And I really like their their characters in this story because to me they're like two sides of the same coin for those of you that haven't watched the show um damien lewis's character bobby axelrod aka axe is like this hedge fund hundred millionaire multi multi hundred millionaire multi-millionaire um dude that flirts with the the pushing the boundaries of insider trading and and illegal wall street type shit that everyone in main street hates main street hates and uh paul giamatti's character is the is the uh attorney general or an attorney general in who hasn't lost the case and um is bent on getting uh Damien Lewis's character or indicting Damien uh Lewis's character for like insider trading and and money laundering etc like any fraudulent shit that he may be into. So to me they're two sides of the of the same coin in, in a couple different ways. So you can see that in like Paul Giamatti's character in terms of following the rule of law and work and 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 just the way he carries himself in general, he seems much more measured, much more, much more like by the book, if you will, much more cognizant of the optics and how things look and how things seem, etc. But he has emotional, irrational outbursts. And when he fucks up is because he gives into um, that emotional side of himself. Whereas on the flip side, Damien Lewis's character acts is much more calculating, much more like driven in in a way that he's like up to something. There's always like an ominousness. I don't even know if that's a word, ominousness to him. Um, but he's very emotionless when fucked up, crazy, you know, unexpected shit happens. He doesn't act out of impulse as much, I felt when you would expect him to but then on the flip side he does act out of like emotion and impulse when you don't expect him to so he's like wilder and like more off the cuff when it comes to stuff like that he doesn't give a shit about how things look or optics or anything like that um he just wants what he wants and he's like driven towards that he wants a multi-million dollar house he gets it regardless of how that looks regardless of it if that does and will increase the likelihood that he's investigated for insider trading and flowing money and you know that type of shit you see this on a smaller scale when um this these kind of like character traits when it comes to their meditation practices which i think is cool in and of itself that there is meditation is becoming more of like a uh, a prevalent type of thing that people are seeing like more and more like in movies tv shows and you know speaking about reading about etc and um so i think just that in and of itself was cool but there's separate scenes that you see them both meditating like they're both into meditation and you see that 
Paul Giamatti's character has his very specific routine or routines and he schedules his meditation and he does his meditation and as soon as the meditation finishes he gets his alarm for his first meeting of the day etc etc and he has that habit and he has that schedule and he sticks to it whereas um axe also meditates but it shows him kind of like trying to fit meditation into his schedule trying to find time for it and when he does and he gets a phone call he interrupts that meditation and he allows he doesn't have that structure he's like searching for it kind of and you know wanting to meditate and and stuff like that but he's not sticking to it he's not he's letting shit interfere with stuff that he has had planned so too much of the outside world is messing with his internal world and I thought that was like an interesting uh, distinction or juxtaposition between the two characters. And lastly, it ended super dope with a, a long dialogue between the two. You guys know I love like dialogue and monologues and stuff like that. There was like a long dialogue between the two, which I thought was great. And it ended, spoiler alert, with um, highlighting the fact that one has unlimited resources which is um, the multimillionaire hedge fund guy versus the other, which is the public servant that has nothing to lose. You know, just got his wife kicked him out, got divorced. That's a whole other like storyline in and of itself, which is, which is pretty sick because um, she actually works for the firm that the other guy owns, like as a, a psychologist. But he paints it as, you know, he has nothing to lose versus, which is like the, an equally powerful position in terms of going head to head. Someone with unlimited resources, how do you match that if you don't have unlimited resources? Um, literally by having nothing to lose because you can go as hard as you want to go, as you feel you need to go. Because like you have nothing to worry about anymore. You're not worried about losing your family because you already did. You're not worried about your career. You're not worried about money because you don't have any. Versus the other guy who is worried about money and holding on to it, etc. That's that's kind of like an anchor, something that holds him back from being able to go as hard as he would otherwise want to go. And he's technically limited by the unlimited resources that he has. Um. So yeah, I just thought I just thought that was a the way to end the season. It was a an awesome season, and uh, definitely looking forward to seeing season two of Billions. All right. So back to Felipe Esparza, who has a new HBO special called Translate This. It was super funny. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that it's his second special. Um, it's definitely the second one that I've seen. Um, I believe the other one that I have mentioned before in the previous podcast was his first special, but I could be wrong on that. He's a comic that I first heard of on the Church of What's Happening Now uh, podcast with uh, Joey Coco Diaz. He goes on there frequently, and um, he was on there recently actually promoting this special, and um, he's just a, a funny dude, and I, I like his stuff. It's very like punchline, punchline, punchline joke, punchline joke, punchline joke type of comedy and um i like all different types of comedy i like long stories i like the punchline joke um he's definitely more of a punchline joke type of comic and definitely enjoyable this one was more like resonated i think more with me um just uh it's because of the whole like immigrant background 
like undertone that this special had and it was called translate this um referring to like translating shit for his parents is like mexican parents that that don't like uh speak or like read or write english it's like to this day i like read and translate shit for my parents and it's like they can definitely like defend themselves you know speaking and stuff like that but you know it's not their first language just like uh felipe esparza depicts in his comedy special where like his parents would like take him on appointments and to like i think he said like one of his jokes was like to disability and social security office and like fill out forms for them and he's like filling out taxes at the age of 11 and like stuff like that and it was a uh, super funny in that respect and it was a lot of like shared immigrant type experiences that that i got from it and and it's not just always like you know filling out paperwork and like stuff like that but just like even more innocuous shit like going to a fast food restaurant and stuff and like you'll see like the the young kid ordering for the family you know like the fucking 11 year old ordering for everybody and the parent telling him like what to get and shit like that it's it's funny stuff and definitely highlights like a lot of different um shared immigrant experiences because i think that some some people are like you know i'm dominican versus like a mexican or puerto rican or a a guyanese person or like whomever um that's a lot of like just like different cultures and they are but there's also a lot of things that overlap and a lot of experiences that are shared um like any of these that i just mentioned um and uh it's pretty cool it's pretty it was definitely a fun funny uh watch and you guys should definitely check it out now on a more somber note in terms of uh comedians ralphie may comedian ralphie may passed away at age 45 i've mentioned him in the past as well he's another one that i that i've heard uh frequently on um on uh the church of what's happening now joy diaz's podcast and he's i've also heard him on adam carolla's podcast and um i've seen one of his comedy specials he's a funny dude um if you see him like you recognize him or if you hear him at least i know i did before i even knew before i had even seen his like stand-up like i knew who he was and stuff like that he had like these bigger one of these uh bigger than life personas definitely go back and listen to to his podcast that he's been on um funny as fuck to listen to I liked him on podcasts actually more than I actually liked his stand-up, but he definitely has a big um, following in stand-up as well. He's very obese, very, very overweight. And I believe he died of a heart attack. Not positive though, but I believe he did. And I liked the last, the last episode of not, it was one that he wasn't on, but it was after he passed. And Joey Diaz was, was close with him and, and him, Steve Simone, and uh, Lee Saya were just, like, talking about, like, reminiscing, like, different Ralphie Mae stories and stuff like that. And Joey always says, like, a ton of stories on, about everything, but shared, like, a shitload of Ralphie Mae stories. And uh, it was cool to, to, to listen back on it, to, like, reminisce a little bit and get a glimpse into the type of person that he was. One thing that I wanted to mention, like, on a bit of a lighter note and that I guess, like, comics would appreciate 
is a, a joke that Fluffy Gabriel Iglesias said about Ralphie Mae actually. And it was Ralphie Mae was like on a diet, and he's like he was like the type of obese that, like he was a really big dude. So if he lost a lot of weight, like you wouldn't notice really. And you know it's not like an knock on him. It's just like he's that overweight. Like must have been like four or five hundred pounds, like some crazy shit like that. And he like started like a vegan diet and somebody told Gabriel Iglesias and I heard this like secondhand. So you guys are hearing this like third hand, but somebody told Gabriel Iglesias like, yo, um, he, uh, Ralphie Mays, uh, he's lost like, like a hundred pounds and you know, he's, he's doing a, a vegan diet and Gabriel Iglesias without skipping a beat supposedly says a vegan diet. What the hell is he eating? Crops? <laughs> Yeah, I just thought that was fucking hilarious. Like I had to I had to share that with you guys and and I'm sure Ralphie May would be like one of the first to like crack up like when he heard that or if he heard that now. And um I don't know, it just sucks. Died like really young, forty five years old. Lastly, uh, I'm gonna speak about a segment of John Molden's newsletter, Thoughts from the Frontline that I subscribe to that I've mentioned to you guys in the past. For those of you that don't know or may not remember, John Molden is a New York Times bestselling author. He's an investment investment expert specializing in hedge funds. He's the president of Millennium Wave Advisors, which is a financial advisory firm. He is the, the writer of this uh, newsletter or puts together this newsletter. He's not like the only writer on it. Um, but it's, uh, an economy based, uh, newsletter, economy, economy and investments. And his readership is said to have over a million followers, which is like sick. I have a dozen in my newsletter in terms of subscribers, which you guys should definitely subscribe to at sponsor.com forward slash subscribe. It's free. Anyway, um, I like it. It sound it might sound like boring, like on face value, like all oh, the economy, like who the fuck wants to read about that? But his articles are really interesting. They are they're written very well. They're not like dense textbook type uh, writing. I think that comes from like him being an author himself, a New York Times bestselling author. So he's able to to write this otherwise like dense information in a much more like palatable way. What I like is like the interconnectedness of it. Like he can speak about artificial intelligence and its implications on domestic jobs. And then how that translates into a percentage of GDP and how that will technically affect foreign policy. And he connects the dots with with shit like that. And actually, one of his one of his uh, newsletters is like this one is thoughts from the front line. There's another one. That you, if you just sign up to one, like you get them, you get them all. I think there's like two or three of them. Another one is connecting the dots, where he does like more like stuff like that, and might speak about like the textile a textile stock in China and how that is impacting the price of teslas here in the u.s or like some like crazy shit like that that you would never make a connection to and like he draws the parallels to it and and connects the dots for you anyway in what i want to speak about in 
this article, which I'll link to in the episode notes, which is from, again, Thoughts from the Frontline. It's called The Fragmentation of Society by John Molden, and it was published on October 29th, 2017. There's one, there's uh, five separate sections to it. And the one in specific that I want to speak to is called The End of Cancer. So I'm just going to read a couple of excerpts from it. And um, the first one is probably the longest because it kind of like introduces like what it is and shit like that. So here we go. Quote. I was talking with my friend, Dr. Ray Takigiku, chief executive and chief scientist of Bexian Pharmaceuticals. The company is now 15 months into a phase one trial to determine the safety of a drug called BXQ350, which is basically a full on silver bullet for mass tumor cancers. It has so far been a small trial in four medical research universities with a limited but growing number of patients who have pancreatic cancer and brain tumors. The results have been very promising. Ray told me about one patient at the University of New Mexico who has a very rare form of cancer and who was given the drug. This is a cancer for which there is no treatment. It's basically a death sentence. It occurs in adults, but more frequently in children. Ray was initially concerned about treating this patient as the study is about safety and you really don't want to have any issues associated with a safety trial. But the patient's doctor talked him into proceeding and they began to administer the drug. It has been very, it hasn't been very long, but the patient is improving and the cancer is regressing. He has he had lost partial use of his right side but is now walking and using that side again he then goes on to say that because it's a phase one trial we don't really have much information about how effective the drug is apart from anecdotes and distressingly the researchers must sometimes stop administering the drug because that's part of the required protocol He gives us some cancer-related stats, which is, in the U.S., 1 million people per year get cancer, and half a million die. Those are ugly statistics, but they could change drastically within less than 10 years. Cancer could become a nuisance rather than a threat to life. He then goes on to say that, uh, full disclosure, I was a first-round investor in Bexian, And so I have a strong home field bias in wanting BXQ350 to succeed. But the reality is that its success will be extraordinarily good for humanity. And then he says, and frankly, one of the main risks to my investment is not that the drug won't actually work, but that any of several other companies that Patrick Cox and I are currently looking at will actually come up with a drug that is cheaper, better, and faster. Or maybe, as in treating AIDS, you end up with a cocktail of drugs to fight cancer. Here's the sick, uh, like, promising outlook that I got from, from this article. He goes, um, one way or another, cancer is going to go the way of measles and polio. You'll be diagnosed by means of a simple blood test that will be part of your annual medical checkup. And you'll be informed if you have cancer. Next, you will undergo further tests to determine what type. And then, whatever the therapy is, it is likely that you will simply go to your doctor's office for regular treatments. In the case of Bexian's drug, treatment will, hopefully, amount to a few months or less 
of three visits per week, no side effects, and your cancer goes away. That's the extrapolation from mouse studies that have been done. And we'll know more after phase two studies are underway, which is happening sometime next year. He also goes on to mention that um, and he's able to because it's now public knowledge that John McCain will be given access to the drug at the University of New Mexico Comprehensive Cancer Center um, because randomly John McCain has one of the types of cancer that this phase one trial has focused on. And he also actually qualifies for the trial. Now, this specific article was was um, speaking to technology and um, advancements in technology, both medically and in other areas as well, and the impact that that has on jobs. And he's not... Um, for example, just like painting like a rosy picture of, you know, some like wonder drug that's going to get rid of cancer and Kumbaya, it's going to be the best thing in the world. Um, but he also speaks about how that will inevitably impact, uh, the job market. And he says, uh, he speaks to things like, um, the success of this type of drug beyond the many lives that it will, that will be saved and the significant reduction in pain and suffering of cancer patients and, and their families. We point out that there's also an impact to the hundreds of thousands of healthcare workers specifically associated with the treatment of cancer, which have relatively high paying jobs. Then there are all the hospital beds, for example, filled by cancer patients easily in the many tens of thousands, plus all the ancillary workers that are associated with the care and welfare of cancer patients. He says that like that, the impact of like that, that type of loss of uh, focus in their employment would in this field will be mitigated by the fact that there's so much need for like different healthcare, you know, um, workers and in different fields that they'll quickly be moved to an associated field. But we can't rule out the fact that there will be an economic impact to uh, a cure for cancer because there's at least, and this number was given by uh, an estimate by Kyle Bass, an economist, I believe. Yeah, that is at least a $500 billion of market cap in big pharma that will be destroyed by a cure for cancer. And, you know, he goes uh, deeper in, in, in the article into that type of stuff. But I just wanted to highlight, like, the fact that if something like this pans out and it's, like, the end of cancer as we know it, at least as we know it, um, is within, like, a 10-year span of of now would be amazing. I mean, we all have friends or family and loved ones that we have lost to cancer. And it would just be amazing to see it. Even if it doesn't go as far as like go by the way of like measles and, and chicken pox or like something like that, which I would imagine it would, you know, long term regardless. But even if it was like something like AIDS that like, as you mentioned in this article, is you know, you don't really hear of people like dying of AIDS anymore. And they're like on a cocktail of, of drugs to like get them through it. I actually knew someone personally with AIDS um, several years ago and he was like he had AIDS for I think when I knew him, like almost a decade at that point. And he was like on a, uh, 
cocktail of drugs, like a shitload of pills he would take every day. But that got him through it, you know, that kept him from dying, which AIDS used to be a, a death sentence, just as cancer is now. And um, it would just be amazing to see to see that go away. So, and especially like within ten years, it seems like so so close. You know what I mean? Um, definitely within our lifetimes, and that would be absolutely amazing. Anyways, I wanted to share that with you guys, and that wraps up the episode. So stick around, listen to some tunes and ways to help support the podcast if you choose to do so. It would be greatly appreciated. And uh, that's pretty much it, folks. Thanks very much for listening. Appreciate it. This is my love song. It goes like this. Back when Mark Wahlberg was Marky Mark. This is how we used to make the party start. We used to mix in with Bacardi Dark. And when it kicks in, you can hardly talk. And by the sixth gen, you gon' probably crawl. And you'll be sick then, and you'll probably barf. And my prediction is you gon' probably fall. Either somewhere in the lobby or the hallway wall. And everything's spinning. You're beginning to think women are swimming in pink linen again. Then in a couple of minutes, that bottle of Guinness is finished. You are now allowed to officially slap bitches. You have the right to remain violent and start wilding. Start a fight with the same guy that was smart behind you. Get in your car, start it, and start driving over the island and cause a 42-car pileup. Earth calling, pilot to co-pilot. Looking for life on this planet, sir. No sign of it. All I can see is a bunch of smoke flying, and I'm so high that I might die if I go by it. Let me out of this place. I'm out of place. I'm in outer space. I've just vanished without a trace. Would you like to receive a short email from me once a week? You know that feeling you have on a Monday at work when you have absolutely nothing to look forward to except for lunch? Have no fear, the Midday Monday Boost letter is here. In this short weekly newsletter, you will receive five things. One is a photograph of the week from a photographer. A podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts, dozens and dozens of podcasts, hundreds of episodes, and I cherry pick the best ones and I share them with you here. You'll also receive a video of the week, which could be anything from a rap battle to a TED talk. You receive a quote of the week, something to let marinate in your mind, and a word of the week so that you and I can both step up our vocab. So if any of that sounds of interest to you, check it out check out the subscribe page at spuntray.com forward slash subscribe drop in your email address and you'll receive the very next one for any writers or creatives out there i have a questionnaire it's a five question questionnaire that anyone is free to fill out it's located at spuntray.com forward slash questionnaire and what it is is five open-ended questions related to your craft It's things like what inspires you to write or create whenever you don't feel the inspiration to do so. What are your favorite apps or tools or tricks to trick yourself into getting into the mind state of actually creating? What inspires you, etc., etc., stuff like that. And what I do with your responses is share them on a future episode of the podcast. Now, you can choose to remain anonymous if you choose to. You have that option right there when you fill out the questionnaire. And if you do not choose to remain anonymous, I give you a shout out on the podcast and promote for free whatever it is that you have going on. So I appreciate you in advance for sharing that with me, as well as the rest of the listeners of the Sponsor Day podcast, which would stand to gain from you filling out the questionnaire.
Now, you can help support the podcast in a myriad of ways. One way which does not cost you anything and is most popular within the podcasting community is by shopping on Amazon using my affiliate links banner. So the way that works is you go to spontane.com forward slash affiliate links or just click on the affiliate links tab at the top center of the page. And there you will see a banner for Amazon. You literally just click on that and it takes you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. It does not cost you anything extra, but Amazon will give me a kickback just for driving traffic to their website. So that would be a big help. It literally costs you nothing extra financially, just costs you a couple of extra clicks of your mouse before you do your Amazon shopping. The iTunes banner that's on that same page works the same way. So if you're purchasing music or movies or whatever it is on iTunes, feel free to go through my affiliate link portal there as well. If you want to make a one-time PayPal donation, feel free to do so. There's a PayPal donation button on there as well. Within that same tab, you'll also find a link to the Spun Today Viral Style Store. Now, the Viral Style Store is a store where you can get Spun Today merch, whether it's a coffee mug or a t-shirt that I personally designed. And spoiler alert, I'm no, I'm no Ralph Lauren or, you know, whoever designs Gucci stuff. <laughs> but I did create the design of those shirts myself. I have a couple t-shirts on there. One that says, for example, right need every day, which is a playoff of Snoop, Dre, and Nate Dogs. Smoke weed every day. So it's right need every day. With like a puff cloud of smoke behind it. I have a podcast verse everybody t-shirt and uh, just stuff like that. So check it out. The link to the viral style store is also there. You can also help support the podcast on a reoccurring basis. If you become a Patreon supporter. Now, Patreon is pretty cool. And it's there's a little um, video explanation of what it is and how it works. But I'll try to do my best to summarize it here. Basically, you sign on to Patreon, which is a free service for your account, and you can support not just myself, but any other uh, podcasters or creatives that also have Patreon pages. And you can choose to, for example, donate a dollar to them on a per episode basis. So the Sponsored Podcast has two uh, episodes a month. So if you donate a dollar to it, it'll be two dollars a month, basically. And you set it up and it just happens automatically on a reoccurring basis. There are zero fees. You can cancel at any time. No hassle, no bullshit. And it's uh, it's a cool way to help support and is much appreciated. And also, it's not just like a, for example, uh, a PayPal donation, which is just that. But through Patreon, it allows the creator, in this case being myself, to set up a reward system, if you will. So... If you donate a dollar per episode, you are considered a tier one supporter. If you donate three dollars per episode, you are a second tier supporter, etc., etc. And it goes up to four tiers. And each tier gets different things. Like uh, tier one gets a free Spun Today bookmark and a shout out on the podcast. Tier three gets, uh, gets those two things from tier one as well as... A free writing piece that's not posted on on my website or available to anyone else etc etc so check that out if you will 
and uh, visit my Patreon page at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash spun today. Another great, amazing way to help support the podcast is to rate and review it. This costs you absolutely nothing. Whether you listen on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, on Pocket Casts, on Overcast, on Player FM, on Google Play, on YouTube, on Tumblr, or if you listen on Podbay or any other of your favorite podcast apps. Please rate and review the episode. It really is the number one way to help the show gain traction, gain exposure. You know, you could also share it with friends and family and tell them, you know, check out what this idiot is saying. Some of it is actually pretty good or it all fucking sucks and you should listen and laugh. But as long as you're listening, (laughs) it would be much appreciated. So rate and review the podcast wherever it is that you listen. Follow me on Twitter or on Instagram at Spun Today. Like the Facebook fan page at facebook.com forward slash spun today. Subscribe to my YouTube page as well. All podcast episodes are available on YouTube as well as clipped versions. For example, with the random rant episodes, you know, I speak about a bunch of different topics instead of having the full episode alone, which is also available on YouTube. But you also have snippets of the different topics broken up into more digestible chunks. So check that out. You can also support by checking out my book, Make Way For You, Tips For Getting Out Of Your Own Way. It's a quick, short read if you're looking for some inspiration and motivation. And you can find out more about it at spuntray.com forward slash books. There you'll find a video of me telling you all how the book came to fruition, as well as a couple of audio excerpts. If you're interested, you can purchase it wherever books are sold. Kindle, iBooks. Kobo in ebook or paperback format, which you can find on Amazon. Also, for being a Spun Today listener, I can also send you a free copy right there on that same landing page at sponsor.com forward slash books. Drop in your email address at the bottom of the page and I'll shoot you over a copy in the format of your choice. And that's all I got, folks. Thanks again for checking out this episode. And as always, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening.